0: Cultivating Place is proud to receive support from the California Native Plant Society. California is a biodiversity hotspot on our planet, and CNPS is working to support the communities of plants and people and places that make it so. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Natasha Manchanda is a genetic scientist, a mother, a wife, a gardener, and the creator and host of a podcast series entitled The Indian Edit, exploring interesting lives of primarily women of the Indian diaspora, women living everywhere from Boston, where Natasha now makes her home, to Germany, Canada, and even returned to India itself. Subtitled, Conversations with Innovators in Design, Culture and Entrepreneurship, the Indian Edit launched in May of 2018. As Natasha writes introducing the Indian Edit, quote, I grew up in India, came to the U.S. to study genetics, married a Frenchman, had two kids, and now call Boston home. I'm a podcast junkie and love listening to great interviews, but couldn't find the people I was curious about on other programs. This podcast is a way for me to have conversations with those people and to build a creative bridge with India. I hope these conversations inspire you, and this space becomes a platform for the innovative work that a new wave of of Indian inspired creators are engaged in, both in India and abroad. So grab yourself a cup of chai, coffee, or champagne and come listen. Natasha, I am so excited to be speaking with you today. Welcome to the program. Thank you
1: so much. It's a huge honor. Your podcast has hosted so many of my garden heroes. So, hmm.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to just start right in there, Natasha. If I ask you what your relationship is to plants and gardens right now or or what might be the organizing principle behind that relationship, what would that be for you?
1: I think for me, the garden um, has been a big part of my history, for sure, because I come from a line of um, particularly female um, garden lovers in India where I grew up. At the moment, I garden in the Boston area, like you say, in a um, sort of semi-urban garden um, in a house that we bought a few years ago. And I think the most uh, important common thread for me is really how it anchors me to a place and um, Mm -hmm. the sense of place and seasonality that um, each of these quite different um, garden experiences um, have provided for
0: me. Yeah. Yeah. And that segues beautifully into my traditional uh, second question, which is, you know, take us back a little bit to what you just uh, were hinting at and Where you were born and raised and describe some of the people and places and plants that grew you into a person and a mother and a podcaster for whom being a gardener would be an integral part of your life, Natasha.
1: Yeah, So I grew up in India in um, a city that's on the western um, side of the country, um, central west, about three hours from Bombay called Pune. But my family is culturally from the north of India. Uh, My grandmother actually came from um, the northernmost part, um, Kashmir, uh, which has a very uh, different um, sort of uh, horticultural and um, natural landscape to the rest of the country, of course. And India is so diverse, it's really hard to uh, have a common landscape or common horticultural background Mm -hmm. Um, as you move you know from state to state you have completely different worlds but I grew up in this city Pune for the most part Um, and I came to the U.S. um, as a teenager as a 17 year old for college But um, my grandmother was a real garden lover, Um, also my mother and uh, my aunt. So my mother is a physician in India. She's still practicing in her 70s. And um, her sister is actually a botanist uh, who was a university professor in botany. So the two of them um, had a real sense of not just a love of beautiful gardens, but a deep knowledge and a very hands on approach, which um, you don't often find in the Indian sort of middle class uh, where people are living in designed gardens. They often would hire uh, a designer to help set that up, uh, an expert, and they were unusual in that they created the gardens themselves but with an eye for both the design and um, the aesthetic beauty of the garden. So I had this sort of um, line down, you know, matriarchal uh, lineage. Uh, But also Mm -hmm. my father and mother um, together had um, bought land actually and built a house that was ready in 1990. So it's uh, about 30 years old now. And prior to that, um, I grew up in a couple of other houses, but they were rented. So the gardens weren't, um, they didn't have a lot of intervention from my parents, but the house that they built together was very focused around a garden so the view from Mm. the house was oriented towards this garden and we still as a family uh, when we're there spend a lot of our time on this veranda that looks out into the garden and the sense of that real indoor outdoor living um, is very strong in that house and it was really designed with that in mind and um, this Mm. was a garden that my parents designed and really created on their own um so it's you know about 30 years old and i can describe it a little further if you're interested but that's that's yeah. sort of the house oh, yeah. that uh, we go back to as a family and that um i moved into when i was 15
0: yeah i would love to have you describe the plants, maybe, and the impressions that you hold in your mind about that garden and mm-hmm. the historic connection between your, your mother and your grandmother, but also, uh, and your aunt, I think is the botanist, right? Mm-hmm. And that, uh, how the plants are related to both in some way, and then your parents having created a house that you return to as your family home in which the garden is a central personality, I find really interesting. Um, and, and, you know, as we get further, I think we will maybe find some of the, the ways in which all of those threads inform what you do and how you do it, both in your own home, but then maybe in your work as well. So, but describe this garden. I, I am, you know, especially in the deep part of winter, Natasha? (laughs) I'm really interested to hear, like to to be able to visualize that. Yeah, absolutely. So
1: it is a tropical, subtropical garden, um, but it definitely has the sort of English garden principles behind it. So it has um, a lawn and roses in the borders, but also a lot of tropical, um, very colorful foliage plants. There are poinsettias in this season. Um, you know, these there's a beautiful double poinsettia that sort of defines the space near this veranda I was describing. And then as you enter the garden, um, there's a Sort of path through which um, you have roses on either side, but also a lot of um, tropical foliage plants, both in beds and in containers. So they, um, you know, created mm. a whole. Row of container plants that um, abut the wall of the house. Um, and so it really is sort of uh, almost covering um, the walls that you can barely see. So it's very lush, it's very green, it's very tropical, I think. Um, yet the design is sort of laid out in many ways like an English garden with a lawn with borders.
0: Um, hmm interesting yeah yeah
1: so i think in india what people often find is um you know those who are lucky enough to have garden space and to have an interest in gardens um, often grow plants that they love either they're attached to for um you know they may have medicinal values people grow flowers that they use in um particularly in their prayers as offerings, uh, you know, certain jasmines, which people use for their hair, but you don't often find uh, gardens that are sort of designed um, in a sort of Western (laughs) sort of sense, unless again, it's a professional who has come in and helped. So I think again, my mother and aunt are very unusual because they really know the names of every plant and they, you know, would decide exactly where it goes Mm -hmm. and um, and they keep working on it just as, you know, gardeners here do. Um, they realize it's an evolving space and they're constantly thinking about it and working on it. Um, so in that way, they're, they're sort of unusual that they were, you know, gardeners in the sense that you would understand where somebody who's really involved in the garden mm-hmm. and but yet growing it with this sense of uh, an aesthetic You know, where the, for example, the view from our house really is of this garden and the garden's designed to provide that.
0: Right. And do I remember you sharing with me at some point that there are uh, culinary plants as well as, you know, kind of aromatic and medicinal plants incorporated throughout
1: Yes, yeah, so I, I um I forgot to say the, the front is sort of all ornamental, um, or really it's a house is almost like a an L with a garden in the middle, mm-hmm. but the back of the house has um the edible plants. So really it's mostly the trees. So we have you know a papaya, a pomegranate, bananas, uh, coconuts. Um and a lovely mango which actually grows in the neighbor's yard which uh, luckily <laughs> uh, leans over into uh, our house as well uh, but other people around in the neighborhood certainly they have you know um, guavas and um, a lot of other tropical fruit um, some of which are really not well known here but are Uh, really sort of iconic in India, like one called a jamun, which is, um, I think, in the West is known as a sort of java plum or a malabar plum. And I think it's been taken out of India and considered invasive in some places like Florida. But uh, in Mm. India, that's a very sort of special fruit um, and a real acquired taste. But anyway, so we have lots of those things as well. But uh, the garden, for the most part, was really ornamental in the front.
0: So you, as a 17-year-old, come to the United States to go to college. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your your path from there and get us to where you are uh, living outside of Boston and starting your own home garden and simultaneously, to some extent, starting uh, the Indian Edit podcast. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so I came to study science. I was a biology lover always. Um, I wasn't a botanist, uh, but I I loved molecular biology. So that's what brought me to the US. I studied uh, biology in upstate New York. And then I came to Boston for graduate school. And um, I ended up staying on here after that. So I have a PhD in genetics um, and worked in the biotech space for many years and still continue to do so part time. I've always had the garden love, uh, visiting gardens, botanic gardens, and so on, and only gardened really indoors in little apartments, um, containers here and there, Um, but I always knew I would have loved to have a garden if it was possible, and then finally in 2014, um, my husband, who's from France, um, and I bought a house um, in the Boston area with a garden, so That really um, has been a dream come true because I think until that point, I wasn't really able to garden, you know, beyond a balcony. And at that time we have young kids as well. So uh, we ended up spending a lot of time outdoors on a daily basis. And it really gave me time to um, begin gardening. And the house we bought actually, one of the main reasons was, the garden that we inherited. Um, it's a beautiful perennial sort of English cottage garden. Um, it was beautifully planted and continues to do very well with very little intervention. Um, it's taken me sort of five, six years to really understand the garden, know all the names of the plants. Um, but that's really been a tremendous education. Mm-hmm. And as far as the podcast, um, I have always been someone who's been uh, a big reader and who's had a lot of different interests. So um, I've always been interested in other countries, cultures, travel, art, Um you know, you name it. Uh, And so the podcast really began as a way for me to indulge my curiosity. Um, When the podcast first started, um, you know, gaining in popularity, I loved listening to stories, uh, particularly of people who had started things from scratch, trying to understand how somebody goes from maybe a corporate day job into starting something completely on their own. And I was curious about um, a lot of women in particular I was meeting who had some connection with India, who were beginning things, whether they were companies or creative projects or writing a book. Um, and I felt like I wasn't hearing those voices on the very well known podcasts at the time, like, you know, there were the How I Built This um, kind of mm-hmm. podcasts. And I felt like I wanted to showcase these um, really interesting women um, who I was really curious about. So that's one reason I started it. The other is really, like I said, I've always been very interested in many different topics. And the podcast and my guest is really a guide for me into those worlds. Mm -hmm. Um, So whether it's the world of perfumery or you know, a certain place, for example, or the textiles world, Um, and I felt like if I wanted to learn about a certain topic, I would much rather hear it from a woman, and from a woman who was brown, um, or had a connection with India, and because the diaspora is so incredibly diverse and large. Um, you know, I could learn about, you know, somebody who's uh, was CEO of Pepsi or somebody who's just starting a small business on their own and they would all somehow have a connection with India. So that's sort of how I restricted myself.
0: This is Cultivating Place, This week, we're in conversation with Natasha Manchanda, scientist, home gardener, and creator host of the Indian Edit podcast, conversations with innovators in design, culture, and entrepreneurship, building a creative bridge to India. When we come back, we chat more about specific episodes of Natasha's the Indian Edit podcast, especially the plant-rich ones, from a perfumer to a sari designer working with fiber farmers to a photographer and one woman growing a better spice trade. Stay with us. Cultivating Place is made possible by the California Native Plant Society on a mission to support California's native plants in places using both head and heart. In October of 2022, CNPS is hosting their biannual Native Plant Conference, this year focused on rooting together, restoring connections to plants, place, and people. CNPS is inviting everyone to be part of the conversation and the effort to celebrate, protect, and restore California's plants, and everything connected to them. They have a current call-out for presentation applications at the conference. If how we restore connections for people, places, and plants is dear to your heart, and you would like to find out more about presenting at the conference, please visit conference.cnps.org. The deadline for conference presentation applications is April 30th, so get yours in now. Hey, it's Jennifer. Just one year ago, in March of 2021, the U.S. Senate passed Senate Resolution 109, declaring April as National Native Plant Month. Here in California, the third week of April has been designated as Native Plant Week for the last 12 years. The California floristic province is a world biodiversity hotspot as defined by Conservation International due to an unusually high concentration of endemic plants. Approximately 8,000 plant species make their home in the geographic region, with over 3,400 taxa limited to the floristic province itself. However, over 70 percent of the primary vegetation of this floristic province has been lost in the last 150 years. A biodiversity hotspot contains irreplaceable areas to the plants and animals that live there. Among these unique regions, almost every one of them is subject to their exclusive species being at greater risk from the impact of humans. The greatest threat to these areas is wilderness destruction caused by large commercial farming industries and the heavy expansion of urban areas. Conservation International proposed a strategy in 1998 to focus more specifically on areas of the California floristic province that contained the most human impact in order to lower the threat to the region. The issues that are causing the most threats to this province include, but are not limited to, population pressures, loss of habitat, unsustainable resource use, and introduced non-native species. Did you get that about California? 70% of its primary vegetation has been destroyed by conversion of one kind or another. We can grow so much better than that. We know it, and I know we are in fact growing in that direction. Guests on Cultivating Place bring this home to us every single week. So keep growing and keep planting and loving as many native plants of your region as you possibly can and help us all celebrate native plant month, week, year, life. We're speaking this week with Natasha Manchanda, scientist, home gardener, and creator host of the Indian Edit podcast, Building a Creative Bridge to India. Some episodes of the Indian edit are more plant-rich than others, such as Natasha's conversation with photographer Christine Chitness about her book, Patterns of India, A Journey Through Color, Textiles, and the Vibrancy of Rajasthan, featuring a decade's worth of photographs of Christine's travels to the Indian continent with her husband, a second generation of the Indian diaspora, and their two young children. Christine has long been taken by color and texture, becoming a dedicated knitter at 10 years old, and in her adulthood, she became a natural fiber dyer out of the abundance of her garden. This lens is brought to bear on her creation of The Patterns of India and how she shares it forward with readers. In her conversation with Christine, Natasha gets to the fact that the patterns of India are deeply rooted in the plants and seasons of India, based on a very specific natural history-based vocabulary of colors found within the culture. Sandstone, marigold, rose, ivory, royal blue. This is the vocabulary on which the way Christine sees and appreciates the world is based, and which her plant-based textile dyeing is based, and to which her photographic eye is always drawn." In Natasha's conversation with Sana Jevry-Kadri, founder of the diaspora company Spice Traders, Sana depicts how in 2016, when the turmeric latte trend had exploded across the U.S., she had a hunch that the turmeric being provided for these wildly popular drinks was not being well-sourced or well-grown, or compensating the farmers growing it well, which inspired her to found her company, growing a better spice trade. In their conversation, Sana shares that she has been unusually drawn to the flavors and textures of a diversity of foods, and her very first drawing as a young child was that of a germinating seed, because this is where she was told food began. As Natasha notes in the Indian edit, it's no exaggeration to say that Sana has single-handedly brought the inequities in the global supply spice chain to the attention of leading U.S. chefs, food magazine editors, and consumers. Natasha's perspective in the Indian edit is a beautiful illustration of how we all take our landscapes and plants into the rest of our lives with us no matter where we start out and no matter where we go. As we come back, we hear more about specific episodes of Natasha Manchanda's The Indian Edit. When I think about that web of influence and outreach of all of these women that you interview, and for me, because this is the lens I look at the world through, for every one of them, there is some potential If not direct, then indirect connection to the plants and plant life and the culture of plant life in India. A couple of strings. Do you see ways that your childhood in India and the culture of your mother's garden, your aunt's botany, your parents' garden, even though they are overlaid with this English aesthetic, do you see ways that your Indian upbringing and culture and worldview has informed your garden and your houseplant collection in the way that you are creating it for your children?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's, um, you know, an interesting question. I think the garden, you know, sort of outside the, the real garden in the house, I really see as quite reflective of its space and certainly not all the plants are really native you know many of the ornamentals come from places uh, like India originally you know we're used to all the rhododendrons and azaleas and things like that Um, so I I don't want to make it sound like it's a true reflection of the landscape of New England um, but it is very much a garden of this style um, New England. And for me, I felt like that should be maintained. I actually didn't add much or do much. um, And maintaining it and learning what everything was really took me um, several years. So as far as the actual plants from my childhood, I mean, I think the inside of the house really is the place where You know, the indoor garden is, you know, as all of ours are, they've become these quite different worlds from outside very often. And that is the sort of tropical kind of foliage driven um, houseplant Mm -hmm. uh, garden that many of us have.
0: Can you describe that a little?
1: Yeah, so actually uh, what's happening in our house at the moment is actually remodel of the house. Um, And so the garden will be really, you know, will develop it again in a way after but it's not being touched outside so hopefully that should be um, preserved as uh as it has been um and inside the house we have you know a lot of the ferns and um the sort of more typical house plants like the pothos and assorted houseplants that we've collected as we were students and things like that I hope to bring in more uh, of the jasmine the passion flowers plants that I see on my walks around my neighborhood in India once we're back in our house and can really uh, sort of restart the indoor garden in a bigger Mm -hmm. way
0: and as I recall you also had culinary plants in your houseplant collection am I right when I say that
1: Yes so um I've on and off had a varying success with the curry leaf mm-hmm. plant um and uh you know that's one of those things that's a, you need in very small quantities in certain Indian cooking and it's very handy to have at home instead of having to go to the grocery store for one little twig. (laughs) So, but it it can be temperamental. So there's that. And um, I did try to grow some cardamom, but really that's just for the smell of the (laughs) leaves. We don't really, can't really harvest the spice from a a little potted plant. Um, And yeah, I hope to add more of those uh, really just for the fun and the memory of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So as a listener to the Indian edit podcast, the, the influence of these many women that you have interviewed and remind me, when was it founded? When did you first kick it off?
1: Uh, I began in 2018.
0: Yeah. And I love how it's sort of a, um, you know, when we think of, um, you know, colonization or, or imperialism and you know the reach of say the British Empire into India. I I love the subtle but apparent sort of tracing of the influence, the powerful influence of the people of the diaspora. In affecting positive change in in ways that they are doing things, and um, certainly that mm. seems to be one of the things you are are mapping for us and allowing us to be expanded by. So, so maybe you know if you could describe to listeners here some, and you started to mention them before, but some of the kind of threads maybe that have emerged these last four years over these conversations. I mean, one that stands out for me certainly is food. The other is scent Mm -hmm. and the other is, uh, textiles. And Mm. those seem like powerful influences, I think in anybody's life, if we think about it anyway, just explore that a little bit for, for us.
1: Yeah. So the podcast, um, You know, I should say that um, sort of point of it was really to highlight women who have started something on their Mm -hmm. own, who are creatives, leaders, entrepreneurs, and um, their work may or may not have to do directly with um, the Indian subcontinent. Um, they might be people of that origin who have begun working in real estate in, you know, Washington D.C., for example, or, um, you know, but they're the ones that do get me particularly excited are certainly women who have uh, brought something of the place into their work, um, and also women who are crossing boundaries, whether it's different disciplines that are coming together. Um, different places, uh, you know, an Indian person living in Spain, um, you know, um, people who are really blending many different worlds um, and creating something of their own. You know, in thinking about plants and the landscape, I think, you know, one of the People who's doing some really interesting work is um, Sana Javeri Kadri, who's a Diaspora co-founder. It's a spice Mm -hmm. company. She is sort of decolonizing the spice trade um, in her work. She's a young, queer Indian woman who lives in the Bay Area. And um, she's basically connecting small farms directly with the consumers in the West and so, you know, her work is very connected with the land, with the agriculture, mm-hmm. with um, place and many different places, because these are all, um, you know, she sources from all over the Indian subcontinent. So her work is intimately connected with growing and then textiles as well. I think there are several people who have been um, guests whose work is um very much connected with the place that they're in uh we had ambaz hema shroff patel who is on um whose work is very tied in with maheshwar um, a, part, a town in central india where the weaving tradition has been going on for centuries she explores a lot of natural dyes in her work so you know her work and that place um, are very special also mm-hmm. i've also had an architect um, who builds houses in goa and other parts of india anjali Mangalgiri, who's based between goa and um, singapore trained in boston as well and um you know has gone to build these houses Uh, with a real sensitivity for the natural landscape. Mm -hmm. So she will construct around trees and um, actually build green homes as well, you know, with the energy imprint in mind. So, um, you know, there's a perfumer who came on recently. And so, uh, yeah, somebody who, um, you know, Janvi has started um, creating perfumes and bringing Indian ingredients, which um, like the Lotus Absolute, which has not really been used in that world. Um, You know, the list goes on. Um, But I think also there's a recent, um, an author, children's book author, whose work is very tied in with nature, um, Leela Gore-Broom. And, uh, you know, it's very important in children's literature to see the world around you reflected. And she does an incredible job of really describing forests in southern India and the kinds of plant life and um, of course the wildlife as well in these places uh, which you know Indian kids didn't really see much of um, when I was growing up so the work is uh, you know often very uh, multi-layered with each single guest Um, and like you said does often have a strong sense of place and um, often of the landscape too.
0: This is Cultivating Place. This week, we're in conversation with Natasha Manchanda, scientist, home gardener, and creator host of the Indian Edit podcast. Conversations with innovators in design, culture, and entrepreneurship, building a creative bridge with India. We'll be right back after a break when we get into how our garden lives directly and indirectly inform our lives and work outside of the garden itself in interesting ways. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Jennifer. So remember when I asked you all to send me in your native plant loving gardens and place stories or shout outs? Well, I'm asking again, and I'm beginning to share forward some of what has come in already. Emily of the Miram Collaborative is out there growing her landscape and students with native plant love and knowledge in California. So too is Joan Brandwine, tender of what she calls the Como Habitat, a .16 of an acre urban residential lot in St. Paul, Minnesota, to which she has added more than 60 species of Minnesota native plants in the last 10 years. What about you? Where are you and what native plants are you growing? Send me a note by email cultivatingplace at gmail.com or leave me a comment on Instagram at cultivating underscore place and I will include you and your native plant loving place stories in next week's Earth Day Roundup of Native Plant Garden Love. We're speaking this week with Natasha Manchanda, scientist, home gardener, and creator-host of the Indian Edit podcast, conversations with innovators in design, culture, and entrepreneurship, building a creative bridge with India. Natasha grew up near the Western Ghats, a mountain range running parallel to India's West Coast, which are a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Natasha and I first connected over our love of gardening online, and when we first met in person, when I was speaking at Harvard's Arnold Arboretum at a conference in March of 2020, Natasha handed me a beautiful book entitled Hidden Kingdom, fantastical plants of the Western Ghats. These mountains are older than the Himalayas, and they are home to some of the country's and therefore the world's most remarkable plant lives, with flora characteristic of the paleotropical period. The book's four authors note that while this book is a tribute to the Western Ghats, it is also a call to look deeper around you, in cities, towns, villages, parks, gardens, and jungles, for the nature of plants that is often hidden in plain sight everywhere we are. The book is dedicated to seeing with new eyes. Natasha's podcast, The Indian Edit, doesn't focus on plant life, and yet her love of gardening and plant life in all of its expressions and human relations is very much enfolded in the conversations she hosts as a result of how she sees the world. Well, you know, when you think about your work as a scientist, as a geneticist, as a biology Um, focus. When you think about this work, you are doing tracing the influence and stories of these women of the Indian diaspora. When you think about your home garden as a child and your home garden, whether it's inside or outside now, are there interdependencies and interrelationships that you see between how they inform each other? Natasha? Because it's reminding me, it has always reminded me um, in my uh, sort of, you know, relationship with you online mostly and, and listening to your podcast, that there is this relationship similar to the work of Leslie Bennett doing cultural landscapes that allow for kind of this both and instead of either or that, um, you are able to kind of bring cultural cues uh, in, you know, of your heritage into your present in kind of these symbiotic ways.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I think of the garden, I really see it as one of um, the few places where I'm very hands-on. Um, my work, and I think the podcast is included in that. Um, is very uh, abstract, very much cerebral sort of exercise, and the Mm -hmm. garden is very grounding. Uh, And I don't know if I really bring um, the sense of this connection with the Indian subcontinent into my garden in Boston, you know, I think, it really is that connection with the, with plants, um, that I bring from my family background for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. but I mean, for me, the garden is a place to play, uh, and to be creative in a way that I don't really indulge in, in any other part of my life. I'm not somebody who really, you know, um, (laughs) paints or, um, draws or creates things in other ways and I feel like the garden really is that outlet even though you know a lot of it really is just uh, sort of more labor than uh, creation (laughs) (laughs) but um, I really enjoy that it's something hands-on very physical very much um, you know taking me out of my head. Mm
0: -hmm. Tell us about your Uh, plans for the garden coming up this next summer and spring, spring and summer?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I'd been really restraining myself from adding things to the garden or making big changes just because we have this, um, the renovation project on the house itself. Um, And so during the lockdown, though, it was really hard to resist, (laughs) just seeing a few (laughs) new things. So I think, uh, you know, adding a few roses, um, trying the David Austin roses was very exciting. Um, I hope to do more of that. Um, And then because of the way our house is set up, we had a beautiful deck um, because it's a sloped garden and no stairs. So we've had to build a little in the back of the house um, on what was a driveway previously. And um, so because there's a new building, a small structure, Um, The big project is actually going to be how to cover that up (laughs) with, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. creepers or, um, you know, just really adding and bringing that new structure into the landscape and the garden in a kind of harmonious way. So I think there's quite a bit of planning and um, designing that will happen over the next uh, couple of years once it's done.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what about in the edible garden?
1: Yeah, so edibles, I've always had to grow on our deck because we have a lot of bunnies and squirrels and uh, all sorts of wildlife in the open back of our house. And um, we do usually sow seeds. My kids and I in this season begin uh, in February and March to So seeds both for, you know, annual flowers and vegetables uh, for the deck. Um, But this summer, we're not going to be back in our house yet. So we have to figure out what we can do in our um, temporary apartment at the moment. Um, But uh, yes, I think we're all very excited to go back and to have our garden. Uh, We actually, one of the things we did before building or renovating the house was to relocate some magnificent, uh, very large, um, deciduous royal azaleas um, that were abutting the deck. Um, And they're really stunning in the springtime. So we've had to already work on the garden, sort of, uh, you know, reorganizing things and very much looking forward to going back and having a full year back there next year.
0: Yeah. And will you... Uh, can you give us any kind of sneak peeks into what's coming up on the podcast?
1: Yes, so actually uh one of um the most exciting from the garden perspective is um a garden artist. I shouldn't say garden artist, she's a botanical artist, um Nirupa Roy Rao, sorry who um i think i gifted you a book by her yes you did yeah and it's um she's absolutely uh you know a really gifted artist and she's um this book chronicles a lot of the plant life in the western ghats the mountain range that runs in western india so um i'm very much looking forward to speaking with her And then uh, my family and I are planning a trip to Egypt in April. So I'm hoping to find somebody with a connection to both uh, Egypt and India um, who can be uh, on the podcast. And uh, yeah, lots of authors coming up and, um, you know, the list is unending of the number of interesting people to speak to, as as you know.
0: (laughs) Right, right. So, if you were to recommend to listeners here, I'm going to ask you two different questions like this, Natasha. Mm -hmm. If you were to recommend to us, you know, two or three plants that really speak to you of your Indian heritage that we might want to try, whether they are ornamental or uh, culinary or medicinal, what might those be?
1: Well, I think. from the culinary side, the curry leaf plant is, um, the biggest sort of bang for Mm -hmm. your buck because, uh, you know, two of those leaves can just flavor a dish in a way that, um, is almost, uh, unprecedented. (laughs) So I think, um, you know, that is something worth trying indoors. Um, I think for ornamentals indoors, um, You know, I mean, there are so many of the monsteras and um, the beautiful plants that um, are just so popular already. But um, I think the passion flower and the jasmine um, Mm -hmm. are really interesting and just so, um, you know, the passion flower is just so uh, sort of exotic and stunning. uh, It is. And it has so
0: many stories that go with it. Right. Yeah.
1: And many different kinds. I mean, you could grow the, um, you know, the edible one or just all the variety of ornamentals um, that out there is stunning. Um, So I think those those are uh, what comes to mind straight away. Um, Yeah.
0: yeah. And then. If there were, you know, three of your podcast guests, and I I think you've already said them, but let's just sort of underline them, that you think gardeners would be really interested in from the perspective of, uh, you know, the Indian culture and plant relationships, will you either tell if if something else has come to mind, but if not, could you reiterate those names for people to go back and listen to?
1: Absolutely. So episode 15 featured Hema Shroff Patel, who is a founder of a textile label um, called Amba. Um, Oh, I love that one. Her story is fascinating because she grew up in the U.S. actually, and then um, moved to India. Um, Also, um, I mentioned Anjali Mangalgiri, um, who is uh, the architect who builds, um, you know, doing right by the land is uh, her motto. Episode 40 is when she was on. Mm-hmm. Um, Sana Javeri Kadri uh, was on episode 32, um, decolonizing the yeah. spice trade. Yeah. Um, also another person I haven't mentioned yet um, is uh, a German a woman who's actually based in the northernmost part of India in Ladakh, and her name is Catherine Allier. Um, We are Kal is her label. It's also a textile label using the yak wool from that area. Um, she was on episode 56. I think um, her story is very interesting as well. And then... Um, I'll just say briefly that um, there's an artist who um, is based in London and a good friend. She was on episode 10, um, Shilpa Agashe, who is an engineer who has uh, turned to full-time art. And she um, spends a lot of her time uh, also with botanical art and you know recording in her Instagram, um, which is at Agashe Shilpa you can watch um, her notebooks of the stunning plants that she sees at Kew and other gardens around her in London. Um, So she's an interesting one as well.
0: Okay. You know, it's funny because I I think about, uh, you know, I mean, and and this is, you know, very, uh, I don't know, a stereotype. And yet, in my mind, I think about the way we clothe ourselves and the way we, um, you know, we associate the sari uh, with mm-hmm. the Indian culture for women. And and I, I think about that as being, you know, some sort of like reflective parallel to the way we clothe our lives with our gardens and uh, the way this planet is clothed with her green, uh, her green beings. And um, I just love those sometimes nuanced, Mm. um, and, uh, a little bit mercurial, but, uh, but important, I think, interrelationships.
1: Oh, that's a beautiful image. Uh, I love that idea.
0: (laughs) Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today. Uh, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you and I'm going to go back and listen to those episodes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. One of the aspects of Natasha's garden story that I love beyond the recognition that our garden pasts and garden cultures travel with us is that it's a lovely example of how and why plants come to live in our gardens or in our homes. In this exact moment in time, we're of course hearing so much about how and why it is important to plant natives to our own regions in our gardens. And honestly, this has never been more important environmentally. But in this exact global moment, in terms of social, economic, and public health, it's also immensely helpful when our gardens offer us emotional and psychological respite, offer us economic boosts in the way of access to healthy food, and offer us cultural pride and a sense of self, as well as a sense of place. I'm a big fan of Doug Tallamy and Homegrown National Park's Ideal Proportions concept, in which our gardens are 60 to 75 percent ecologically functional native plants, offering environmental refuge for plants, for wildlife, allowing for appropriate and very modest water use and no chemical use at all if possible. This formula then allows for 25 to 40 percent of our gardened time, space, and budgets to go towards beloved fruits and vegetables, to culturally or personally significant ornamentals of great seasonal beauty or structure, like the many plants of Indian origin in Natasha's garden and kitchen. I think of this like dessert, right? It's a fabulous end to your best healthy meals. While dessert is not unhealthy itself, it is significantly smaller than the main meal and fully enjoyed as such. To find out more about great natives to garden with in your exact region, head on over to cultivatingplace.com and check out the show notes for this week's program under the podcast tab where you will find all the links. Join us again next week when we're celebrating the 200th birthday of Frederick Law Olmsted and his long, lovely legacy on the public green spaces of the U.S. in conversation with Dee Dee Executive Director of the National Association of Olmsted Parks, and John Roden, Director of the Audubon Society's Plants for Birds program. The two are working on the Olmsted 200 celebrations going on around the country this year and around Olmsted's. 200th birthday itself, April 26th. Listen in next week. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of Cap Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible by listeners just like you, and by partner support from the California Native Plant Society. For more information and many images from the life and podcast work of Natasha Manchanda, head over to cultivatingplace.com and look for this week's show notes under the podcast tab there at cultivatingplace.com. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler, with tech and web support from Angel Haracha. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.